0: We come from, like, the industrial age, employment, etc., which is a form of coercion. And so DAOs are much more incentive-driven. And so the, the challenge is, of course, to make incentives that are strong enough to get participants to, you know, actively uh, contribute with, with value. Voices of the Data Economy, a podcast supported by Ocean Protocol Foundation. We bring to you the voices shaping the data economy and challenging it at the same time. We talk about breaking down data silos and equalizing access to data for all.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode coming to you from Ocean Protocol's headquarters in Berlin. And today we have Alex. Uh, I prefer that he pronounces his last name. Um, Alex is a very interesting person working in a section of uh, blockchain and data, data science. So we thought he would be an amazing guest uh, and a builder to tell us what the space looks like uh, from his point of view. Alex, uh, welcome to Voices of the Economy. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into uh, the wonderful world of crypto and data.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, so my name is Alex Vanevik. I am a data scientist and I'm also a co-founder of D5 which is a data science DAO, and also a co-founder of Nansen, which is an analytics platform for blockchain. Um, so my, my background is in artificial intelligence. Uh, originally, um, I graduated in 2010 from the University of Edinburgh. And then pretty much the same day as I graduated, I set up an AI company with two course mates. Um, so, so that's kind of my background. And Quickly after setting up that company, I realized I needed to learn more about business. So I went into management consulting for a couple of years. And then after that, went back to data science and worked in uh, a European media group uh, for about four years. And then in 2017 is when I started working in the crypto space. Uh, So I had kind of, you know, been interested in in Bitcoin uh, tangentially. Uh, not very directly, um, but, but the real interest kind of uh, started when I learned about uh, Ethereum, uh, which, you know, for, for many different reasons, uh, Bitcoin was kind of, it always seemed, seemed to me to be kind of like, how do you know that this is the, this is the thing that's going to take off? It seems like you might be betting on the wrong horse, even if it's the first. Uh, so uh, there was always this fear that Bitcoin might be like the MySpace uh, of the blockchain world. Which, uh, of course, Bitcoiners would disagree with. Um, But Ethereum seemed like kind of more of a a general bet on the blockchain space uh, since it's a platform. And so uh, I got really interested in that in 2017 uh, before the big ICO boom happened. And so I started working in in the space, in particular, looking at like data and crypto. Uh, And I realized very quickly that. It's actually a great industry to work in if you're a data scientist or, you know, data enthusiast in general, Mm -hmm. uh, because there's an abundance, there's an abundance of data. Uh, So so it was really just a really fun industry to dive right into. There was no, you know, kind of gates or red tape. There are no gatekeepers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge, I think, attractor to a lot of, you know, energetic, uh, ambitious people. Um, and so I started playing around with these data sets, started building some different like products and technologies. And uh, some of those were able to sell actually, which um, which uh, was, was kind of good to, to get some funds to start my own business. So basically that was my entry into the space. Um, I also joined the startup in Hong Kong in 2018 uh, that was focused on crypto data. Uh, so I worked with them, you know, almost a year. Um, it didn't work out uh, in the end, but um the good thing that came out of it was that I was able to hire some really great people from my team there. Uh, and so I got the chance to continue working with those people. And so in 2019, we started a, a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization for data scientists and data engineers. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's D5, the, the letter D and the number five.
1: Mm-hmm. That's because you were five people?
0: yeah that's a a common question actually uh Uh, so so we 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 try to keep a bit of mystique around that number (laughs) we weren't actually five people we were seven people
1: um and and, and so
0: there's a couple of (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) no comment (laughs) uh so, so uh you know there's many different interpretations you could have like the d letter itself there's like data you know distributed decentralized uh you know Lots of things to start with D, Um, and so uh, that that's kind of just the name we came up with. Some people uh, say it sounds like a boy band, but you know, there it is, D five.
1: A little bit, a little bit, and maybe maybe from your point of view, what is a DAO? I think uh, maybe even like ninety plus percent of our audience might not be very familiar with um, DAOs as a, at least in the way that you're using it. Maybe they've heard about the DAO in 2016-17 2016 17 era of crypto
0: yeah so um you know i'll be i'll be open instead of like our take on it is very pragmatic and so we aren't like very tied up with the the term DAO itself like for us it's really about just having an organization that makes it possible to collaborate across borders without a lot of friction uh, and some kind of ways to you know manage funds together and make decisions Uh, so, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on like the terminology or, uh, the kind of, you know, what makes a a DAO decentralized, for example, what makes it autonomous. So I would say our approach has been more pragmatic. Uh, Mm -hmm. so first it's really just about having kind of like an organization 2.0, which is like digitally native. Um, and so I think we discussed this on Twitter actually,
1: uh, yeah, let's let's not mention that thread. Uh, uh, basically, everyone <laughs> in crypto disagreed with me except one one person. So I guess uh, my take is also very controversial.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's really about you know um, having new forms of organizations that don't rely on you going to the notary for every single change you want to make. Yeah, yeah. And so and so that's kind of what it boils down to. Um, and so. Uh, just to mention very briefly, at a high level, like what DeFi is all about, um, it's really a, a collection of people who wanted a third way to work. So you know, we didn't want to necessarily be employees in a company, or even like co-founders in a startup in a traditional sense. Um, and also, on the other hand, we didn't want to be like individual consultants or freelancers. And so we figured maybe there's a third way,
1: Open where relationships.
0: you can, yeah, exactly, have more of like a liquid yeah, yeah. A collaboration style, and so that's what DeFi really is. It's kind of like the boring way to explain it is like a consulting shop 2.0, right? That's like kind of like the way you might describe it to someone who is not in crypto. Um, but but it does open up for like experimentation with like different incentive models uh, and different ways of creating value together uh, in a way that is perhaps a bit non-traditional.
1: Um, so that that's fascinating to hear. It's um, that, that you guys are already using a DAO and, and it's, it seems to be working for you. Uh, but before we talk about, the let's say, the structure of D5DAO and what you guys do differently than normal, let's say, consulting jobs companies, I wanted to hear about your point of view on the experience of being a data scientist in the blockchain space. We, we already mentioned one of the most important aspects, which is you don't really have gatekeepers. If data is, by default, it means that it's open, at least until we have you know widespread um, adoption of uh, private transactions and zero knowledge and things like that. But like at the moment, there's just so much data, but I don't know how much of it is really being utilized. What are your insights there?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to summarize it. Um, I would say, like, the openness of data, on the one hand, you can say it's kind of a technical thing in the sense that, you know, public blockchains are by definition open. Um, And and so that means you can, you know, read out the data that's there on them. But I think it's also a cultural thing because there's a lot of crypto companies that just provide data through APIs, um, either cheaply or for free in many cases. And so uh even if centralized exchanges you know are not open in the sense that a public blockchain is uh you can still get a lot of data from the exchanges i mean of course that means you have to trust that those you know exchanges aren't manipulating the numbers etc uh but i do think it's a kind of cultural uh feature of the crypto space and so the very first things that i did um in in the crypto space weren't actually focused on on-chain as such. So, so you know, it's a lot about using existing APIs to get price feeds, volume, um, uh, news streams, et cetera. And so it's only, I would say, maybe it took a couple of months before I started looking at on-chain data specifically. Um, and so that's been a really interesting <clears throat> journey. Um, and the, the kind of on-chain data journey for me started when I was, Trying to, you know, ingest Ethereum data uh, into like a normal relational database, um, and I actually hired someone to help me do that, uh, but quickly learned that there was an open source project for doing this, which is called Ethereum ETL, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the creator of that is is uh, Evgeny Medvedev, who is uh, now he's a member of our DAO, the DeFi DAO. Amazing. Yeah. So that that was actually how I how I, uh, got to know Evgeny. Um, and so I just reached out to him. I was very lucky because he had just published this repository, I think literally like a week <clears throat> before we, uh, came across it. And so I reached out to him and, um, started, you know, talking to him about the project. And, uh, eventually I got him to join our team, uh, at the startup that I was working at then. Uh, and so, so it's, it's been really, really cool actually, because, um, We've been from the start working on you know, making on-chain data accessible to uh, to people, and so anyone um, c- can actually you know start running Ethereum ETL and ingesting data from uh, an Ethereum node, and then uh-huh. start like running SQL queries or you know ingest it in like CSV files or whatever they want uh, uh-huh. now. So that's like a fully open-source project. Anyone can use it, uh, and they can you know build stuff on top of it which is what we have done actually with nansen but we can talk about that later oh um so yeah
1: very interesting um i think we could go a little bit deeper about the details of um ethereum or blockchain etl um, we've spent some time together also exploring that um can you tell us a little bit about you know how oh, it came about to exist, I, as far as I understand, it's uh, something open source funded by Google to maybe promote uh, BigQuery, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's how it was popularized, at least. Um, but the project actually started uh, really like a, as a grassroots thing, um, and it was Evgeny who was the main driver, and he still is the main driver of it. Oh, and wow. so he just wanted to he just wanted to you know uh, run SQL queries on Ethereum data. Um, and mm-hmm. so, and so that's kind of how it started. Uh, he actually first uh, used <laughs> AWS uh, as the example of you know databases that you could ingest this data into. Uh-huh. Um, so he, I think he did an example with Redshift, which is one of the AWS database te- technologies. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, later on, Alan Day, who is um, one of the great people at Google, uh, working with blockchain and trying to connect to the blockchain community, uh, he reached out to me. Um probably had seen me on Twitter or something, and, and I actually mentioned Evgeny's name to him. And so that's how like the collaboration with Google started. Um, and so Evgeny and Alan have been kind of the, the two key people in, in making that uh, Google collaboration uh, so fruitful. Uh, and so they published um, the data sets for like, transactions, logs, traces, token transfers, et cetera, in BigQuery. Um, Which means that anyone can just, you know, they don't have to even run Ethereum ETL on their own. They can just go into BigQuery and start like running SQL on uh, Ethereum data. Uh, So that's kind of how that um, that Uh thing came to be. Uh, But it's not actually like, you know, originally uh, it wasn't started by Google or anything, but that's that's obviously like a huge, uh, it's been a huge driver for adoption and exposure. And it's been very critical to the success of this open source project. Yeah
1: interesting so maybe you could also tell us if there are other uh web 2.0 era, uh you know giants who are doing things like this uh with data and uh, uh, ethereum or blockchain space in general if you know about any
0: so i would say in my i mean obviously i have a I have a slightly biased view but it seems to me like google is definitely the the big one that's that's working kind of with the community and uh-huh. and alan has been has been like critical in, in uh, making that work. Um, right, right. So I can't really comment that much on like, you know, Amazon. I, I know they have some, some like blockchain uh, rings. Uh, I think a lot of it is around like professional services and like maybe more focused on private chains and so on. Uh, but Google, you know, has done partnerships like Chainlink um, and, and lots of other projects as well. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not just Ethereum, right? I mean, you, yeah. can, you can actually find Bitcoin data, uh, Bitcoin derivatives, Bitcoin Cash, Dogecoin, Litecoin—all uh, that data is published actually um, in BigQuery.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, maybe we should get Alan here too. It sounds like uh, he's the oh, yeah. node. He's the node with many spokes, kind of connecting him to Definitely. different projects. Uh Yeah. I, I think towards the end of the podcast, I mean, we can maybe talk about also what uh, we're exploring together with you guys and Ocean. Sounds like. Uh, cool cool stuff that uh, could happen out of all of this but um i also want to uh know for let's say new entrance into the space what are some of the low-hanging fruits or opportunities like I i I don't think uh there's a finite number of opportunities so there's really probably no competition for d5 dao But if someone, a data scientist, or a machine learning engineer joins a crypto or blockchain space, um, how do they, I mean, where do they even start? Uh, For example, Ocean is is a unique project because we are more like a data and AI project that uses uh, blockchain as backend for orchestration. Um, but if someone enters the space and they don't know about Ocean or they don't know about uh, Numeri, there's a couple of projects like like uh, us, uh, where could they start their journey?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I agree with your assessment that this is, a, this is a growing pie. So I think the more people we get in here, the, the better it will be for everyone. Um, so I, I'd say there are maybe two main avenues to, to pursue. The first thing that most people do is they start playing around with the existing APIs so like price um price data market data so that could be coin market cap uh, APIs coin gecko crypto compare uh, etc if you just want to you know do simple things like trying to uh, perhaps you know train like a an lstm network or something to to train like a price prediction model or uh you know fun stuff like that um the other avenue you might pursue which i think you know that's perhaps what i would recommend because Um, because I think it's still pretty unexplored, is uh, on-chain data. Um, And so uh, if you're kind of like, you know, you're somewhat uh, ideological about like how to get your data and you're having ownership of data, et cetera, you you could actually just, you know, try to spin up your own instance um, and run like Ethereum ETL on it. And you can literally like have your own database on your computer with, Lots of blockchain transactions, and you can investigate that, you know, um, and do lots of interesting things with it. So um, one thing that I think is underexplored um, is the use of machine learning on on-chain data. So we do this a bit with Nansen, um, but basically, you know, th- this is a lot of really, really clean data, if you think about it. Uh, yeah. Blockchain yeah. data has to be exactly clean and like well <laughs> and well structured, etc. And it's yeah, actually yeah. a data scientist dream from that perspective. So, so just to give you one example, um, mm-hmm. Evgeny and I built built a little proof of concept for uh, a token recommender system. And so, you know, the recommender system is kind of like a machine learning 101 type thing. And so, if you just think of uh, you know tokens as items and then wallets as users, you can you can use very standard recommender system techniques like collaborative filtering to build uh models that try to predict for example like which tokens you might be interested in given your existing token holding uh your token balances um and so that's like that's like one really really simple thing that we did and you know we we don't actually the cool thing about it is like in order to use the recommender system we don't even need to know who you are like we just need to Get the wallet address and then from that we can make recommendations to this wallet address right. on what other tokens they might be interested in i wow. mean obviously you know it's not like it's not like a finan- financial advice on like you should buy this token but it's more like you know like system. yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So, so so it's like you know here's what other people that have a similar like wallet distribution as you uh, here's like some other tokens that you don't have but those people have and you might want to you know research those projects or look into them
1: wow geez and and this isn't integrated in any wallets yet
0: uh, we did think about integrating it with some uh-huh. wallets uh, we we did it we did like a proof of concept um, i think we put it out on similarcoins.com i don't mm-hmm. even know if it's active anymore to be to be perfectly honest uh-huh. Um, but so the, the idea is you could just like you know input your wallet address and you can get it but you can you could definitely do that inside of the wallet like you could you could almost trivially like just use that api and like look up for a specific address get some recommendations
1: yeah because um i actually know someone who has a quite popular wallet and he lives in berlin where we are so it would be interesting to uh, see cool ai data blockchain stuff really happen and you know it's as as you mentioned yourself is definitely a positive sum game if we get more people um, to even think about ai in the blockchain space that is eventually going to you know trickle down to a lot of projects including ocean protocol well, like one of the issues that we have as a project in the crypto space is like 99% of our community and audience, they're crypto native, and there's a much smaller number who are, um, let's say, purely interested in the data side, and and it's just difficult because if you're gonna do a project with Ocean, you most of the time you need to understand at least some amount about both the blockchain backend side and you know your own. Data pipelines, whatever you want to do, and that's just uh, makes it exponentially more difficult to build an ecosystem of AI and blockchain uh, developers. And yeah. so, 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 do, you know, having things like what you just talked about is recommender systems. That's a really cute and you know interesting tiny way of getting people, giving people ideas of things they could do. So, uh, let's definitely continue this, you know, offline and see what we can do. Um, Yeah, 100%. So, um, you also mentioned uh, Nansen a couple of minutes ago. Uh, This is a, uh, I think, focused uh, software as a service project that you guys are working on at D5DAO. And uh, I'm just like really curious to know um, how it came about to exist as a standalone project and... What was the journey for nansen to be you know what it is now and where you think it could be in a couple of months
0: yes so nansen uh, came about because as data scientists and data engineers uh, we had worked with many different uh, interesting teams in the space zero x uh, this decentralized exchange protocol so one example aragon um total dex aggregator and we saw that many of the same challenges uh were recurring actually, and um, also when we were speaking to other, you know, potential clients and so on, they often had the same needs. And so we built Nansen to address some of those needs and kind of build an actual analytics platform, uh, that made it easier for us to like do our job, but also potentially it could be a product that other people could use. Um, and so Nansen is, um, it's an analytics platform that combines on-chain data, but also it it combines it with off-chain labels about addresses. And so the classic example is, if you want to know how much, let's say, Stablecoins or Ether um, is going in and out of exchanges, you need to know which wallets are actually exchanges. And so this is kind of one problem that that nonsense solves. Um, So we have almost 50 million addresses labeled at the moment. Um, 99.99% of those labels are actually algorithmically inferred um uh-huh. and so and so that's pretty cool because you can uh in a much better way understand flow of funds on chain instead of just you know seeing like 0x123 send some funds to 0 a b c, abc uh you can get a bit more context on who these entities are and or like which category uh they fit into um so so that's kind of what Nansen does and wow the way i see the way i see it is it's kind of like Um, many people are familiar with Etherscan, which is a great product. And I use it every day like many other people do. Uh, But it's it's not really tailored to sort of surface like the signal from the noise. Uh, It's very much like a microscope, right? You can like pick an uh, individual address, pick an individual transaction and look at that. But Nansen sort of takes more of like an executive summary view where it sort of aggregates it up to a higher level. And you can sort of, Distinguish like what's what's noise and what's what's the signal that you should be focused on. And so uh, we we do have like macro metrics, macro dashboards that show mm-hmm. how much funds are flowing in and out of exchanges. Like who are the top accumulators of a specific token, um, and then also we have uh, dashboards where you can actually look at an individual address and get a better understanding of like, you know, who uh. might be behind this address so, so um, it's
1: kind of like a fractal thing a little bit so you go to the homepage, and there are some uh, highlights of today on blockchain what's going on in blockchain land um, i think there are like a uh, veil monitors for example but uh, nansen if i understand correctly it's more generalized you, you people or you guys can come up with all kinds of different insights and then if someone's interested they could kind of zoom in and and then after you zoom in, you also have the network graph. You see what are the interconnections to other addresses.
0: Exactly, exactly. That's that's it. So so you can really kind of you know zoom up and down on that scale of like what granularity you want. Um, and so like the people that use Nansen are kind of like a mix of you know some are investors, so they want to understand better what's happening with the specific token. So like which you know other whales that are accumulating this token. Perhaps some of the like insiders in the team are selling off their tokens, um, and generally, perhaps like what does the distribution look like of you know the addresses that hold this token? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of one, one class of users, and then another class is actually like the crypto teams themselves. So if you if you're running like you know Adapt or uh, you know you have some kind of DeFi project or you might even have a token, uh, Numsun can help you better understand like how users are engaging. With your product um so so it, it really like tailors primarily to those two like user segments at the moment
1: wow i i do some investing and i want to tell you shut up and take my money but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, so... it,
0: yeah it's it's yeah we, we it's, it's funny you, you mentioned i mean it's totally bootstrapped at the moment right it's actually uh, maybe, maybe that's kind of a good link to discuss a bit, uh, right. you know, how it came to be because, uh, D5, you know, is, is this, you know, that's kind of a, the DAO structure that's primarily focused on, you know, working in a consulting mode for other, um, projects. But Nonsense was actually created because we felt like, Hey, we want to do something ourselves. That's, you know, our product, you know, and our project, not necessarily client work. And so um, and so that's kind of how, how it came to be and it's totally bootstrapped from within that that
1: makes sense that, that it's it's beautiful like I know another uh, team that's kind of like you guys uh, they're called flex and interesting enough they're also um, trying to product productify or what is the word they're trying to create a standalone product out of one of their hackathon cool projects uh, I think it's called inzipped uh, I, we, we supported it on behalf of Ocean. It's a very cool peer-to-peer data monetization DAP or platform. And they're also mostly doing consulting, but now thinking about their own project. What I find interesting about like this approach or like this journey is that what you build does not even need to go through product market fit because someone already asked for it, you know? maybe maybe at scale you need to test your assumptions and see if people are still interested in paying for this hundreds of thousands of users but but you have at least a hundred users or five users or ten users
0: that's a really great point i think it's a very organic way of creating a business like if you do if you do consulting work which is kind of like you're saying hey i'm going to put my skills uh you know put them to use on the open market and anyone can sort of like you know buy access to my skills then over time, you you definitely learn like what are the needs that are out there, and it's it's a really I think it's a great way actually to build businesses because uh, as you say, you don't have to spend a lot of time like trying to figure out if there's product market fit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So so like when when we started, we we kind of went into like build mode right away because we knew we knew like what people wanted, and, yeah. and so we didn't have we didn't spend that much time like pivoting or like iterating back and forth. Of course, it's a bit of that, but. Um, it was pretty much like build mode and then just launch it. And you know, we've had like 60 trial customers in the first uh, six weeks, which is like great for us as it's purely like organic and bootstrap.
1: So it's a fairly new project, right?
0: Yeah. So we put the, the landing page out like six weeks ago. Oh. Um and so wow. and that's so, about the
1: time we met, I think, or we had our first contact.
0: Yeah, yeah, it might be. So um, so it's very simple. Like people can sign up for like a paid trial, and this is also kind of unusual uh, in the crypto space. But we give people like you know they can pay nine dollars to just try out the platform, um, and then from there, you know, if it's useful to them, they can uh, choose to to become a recurring subscriber to the product itself. Um, and so there's actually like no free version, and that's purely because like we need to have cash flow to develop the actual product itself.
1: Wow, cool. Um listeners of this podcast will get a 90% discount if they click on this link. <laughs> the only problem is there is no link. Go find the link. So, but I also wanted to know like, what was, um, let's say the, the biggest uh, hurdles problems that you guys faced, maybe there was nothing. It sounds like a very smooth project for you guys, but uh, did you uh, face any like major issues both on the business side and then technology stack to to build something like this,
0: so I would say with Nansen itself, it's been pretty like smooth sailing. Uh, so we kind of so so two of the guys in our team, uh, Lars and Evgeny, the two other co-founders, um, they are both experts, you know, with cloud technologies. And um, Evgeny is a is a Google Cloud um, developer expert um, listed on Google's own web, website and everything. So he, you know, both of them are great at at the, that side of the, you know, the technology stack. So that's been pretty easy for us. We went with Google Cloud because we have a good relationship with Google and we like their products. Um, and so I th- I would say maybe if, if I would focus on something that's been challenging, it's actually more in the DAO context, if anything, like the D5 DAO itself. Um, and, and I would also make kind of like an overall comment that one mm-hmm. benefit that we have because we don't have any, like, you know, we don't have any uh, VC investors. We didn't do a token sale. We can be like super open and transparent about all the like failures and like things that don't work out exactly as we want from the beginning. Um, so so I think the DAO, like the DAO structure itself, has been a bit challenging. It has been a lot of learnings about how to make that work in practice. And so
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And and, and so like one one thing I would focus on is um it's like how do you incentivize like participation i mean how do you and you see this with other daos as well even at the you know bigger scale like maker dao aragon etc how yep. do you get people to you know participate in votes um and like drive forward like new proposals and stuff like that um that's not trivial and so you need some kind of like incentive mechanisms i think to make that work
1: do you um, have any ideas yeah. because at ocean we're also exploring the dao space and the space of you know, possibilities. And we have a testnet DAO running. We have a really cute code name. It's called Meta Data DAO. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's a play between yeah. metacartal and data. And uh, what, one of the things that we've been um, testing from the early days, I think back in February 2020, is uh, SourceCred um, and AraCred, which is an Aragon DAO. That uh, is uh, connected to our source credit, you know, backend uh, on Port. Port is our forum. Like too too many oceany names, and and it's interesting because you kind of have this in between currency that could be like kudos for us. The name is Loot, and uh, mm-hmm. like a like a, a experience points for the community. Um, and then you because that part is off chain. It's fully off chain um you can you have a lot of freedom you can for example there's a concept called uh, boosting for initiatives so you could say if you post comments you get you know some points and they use a version of google's page rank for measuring the impact of community contributions but you could also cool. say uh guys now we're focused on this specific project this part of the github repo they, they can also monitor GitHub activity uh, discourse, discord a couple of platforms. And then you say, if people contribute to this specific uh, GitHub repo and their code gets merged and used, and it's high quality, then they get 10x more points. And And I find this truly amazing. It's like uh, free market capitalism applied to community contributions. Like you, you don't have to push people, you don't have to, even formally communicate that I want you to do this, person X or Y or Z, you just signal your conviction through this boosting mechanism. And and then these initiatives become you know, uh, more highly rewarded.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a really great point. Um, and I fully agree with what you said, that you don't want to push people, you want to incentivize them to do things. And so it, it kind of changes a bit the way we are used to thinking about projects because we come from like you know um in the industrial age employment etc which is a form of coercion and you know in some ways and so DAOs are much more voluntary and and incentive driven and so the the challenge is of course to make incentives that are strong enough to get participants to you know actively con- uh, contribute with with value um and so as a general like advice to anyone playing around with with the idea of forming a DAO, i would say the the main thing is you probably shouldn't spend too much time on like your smart contracts like too early because you need to experiment a bit yeah and yeah. and the challenge like if you you know if you ship a smart contract like you kind of have two options either you could ship some kind of proxy contract which means you could change it anyway so it's you know it's, it's kind of limited what degree of decentralization you have in the first place. Yeah. Or you could come up with ways that are more informal um, and, and try to test out different incentive mechanisms, uh, different ways of you know collaborating, and then iterate faster. Um, so that's been a big, big learning for us.
1: Exactly. I fully agree. And just signaling to the wider community that this DAO could be or is uh, ephemeral. That it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't need to be forever. That that, that was one of, um, I don't know, maybe my comments uh, last year, uh, talking to Ryan Zur and I think Jake Berkman around a future of work. I think Ryan had a very interesting talk at Web Three Summit last year about working for a DAO. That's also kind of the, exactly the topic of our discussion. And I felt mm-hmm. one of the, let's say, design patterns that's really missing in the DAO space right now is ephemeral DAOs that just come to exist. They emerge out of, you know, necessity. And they're not complicated. They're, they're minimally decentralized. And maybe it's just uh, 200 lines of code. And then they die. You know, it just like, you, that, and that's a huge difference also, compared to traditional corporations, just like the cost of setting up an entity is so high, and then the friction of uh, winding down a company. Like I live in Germany, and it sucks. It's horrible. Like you need like one or two years time from from the time that you are sure you want to wind down the company. You, you, there's a whole process. It's it's insane. So exactly. So so imagine yeah. if we could have uh, these DAOs just emerge for specific things. I think there's a Project called F12, Fantastic Twelve, that they have like a fork of the Moloch style of DAOs, and it's integrated with Discord, and you kind of just you know you have a DAO just for submitting uh, to a bounty, and then it dies after the funds are distributed. It's really cool. Um, so this space Definitely. is really open, um, and and uh, I think uh, we should just uh, continue being open to these new you know, approaches to the future of work?
0: Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, you used the word ephemeral. I, I tended to think of it in, in terms of uh, more liquid organizations, but it's a similar notion. Uh, I think we live in, you know, more liquid times, like um, as um, millennials or like our generation basically is more uh, preoccupied with having freedom and, and changing changing things instead of locking into like, you know, working at one company for thirty years, and so I think um, I think DAOs uh, to some extent have, you know, been quite popular, and there's a lot of interest in them because they 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 are uh, following that that type of philosophy. And so, what I would be like be caution, like I would I would uh, you know encourage everyone to be a bit cautious of is to you know form this rigid idea of what a DAO is or isn't. I think it's really I think it's really a more sort of agnostic way of building organizations, and so you could perhaps argue that you know limited companies or you know some forms of organizations that we've we've had for for uh, you know decades if not centuries are kind of in in a, they're actually a subset of of DAOs more broadly. So uh, I think DAOs actually expand the space of what what kind of organizations you you can have, and and that's why they're interesting. I think.
1: I was uh, trying to live tweet what you're saying, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that that's that's a cool new experience. Um, but I obviously fully agree. I think the the, the, the downness of DAOs comes from the the concept being fluid and liquid. I don't know which one's yes. the the better adjective. Like at the moment, DAOs become like a rigid structure. Uh, that's that's the end of DAOs. Then we need a new meme, really.
0: Right, but but there's an irony there, right? Because like smart contracts are very rigid, so um, so that, that's why um, I think I think there's kind of like a, maybe a bit of a, a friction point that we have to figure out because
1: it's a little bit of an oxymoron on on, on a technical level.
0: But yeah, you, you have
1: you have so, an organization that's supposed to be loosely coupled and very fluid. But at the same time, the underlying um, uh, smart contracts and codes are very rigid.
0: Yeah, but but maybe you know, at, on the other um, hand, you could say maybe that's you need a rigid base layer in order to have flexibility on the higher levels, right? So so it's not it's not easy to to see like exactly what it should be. But what I know for sure is like it's way too early to conclude on like what is the optimal like structure for doing this we we need to experiment a lot more Um, and you know you asked asked about my tweets earlier and one thing that i've um i've thought a lot about is you know in decision making for example you you can make decisions fast if they're reversible because you can obviously just go back on them Uh, but when there are irreversible decisions you have to be you know take your time and make sure they're right and so The challenging thing with smart contracts is that in many cases decisions are irreversible, and so um, that that there's kind of like a bit of a there's a bit of a friction point there. If you want to move fast, but also make a lot of irreversible decisions, that's not a good combo. Uh,
1: I think we can kind of use some of the existing um, legal structures. For example, in uh, VC firms, you have uh, sidecars, if I'm not mistaken. So you have a main VC company and it's quite rigid. It has a mandate and thesis and everything. And then you could have a sidecar fund that invests um, out of the you know normal structure and thesis in a specific deal. Um, maybe we could have um, sidecar DAOs that um like imagine like a bubble and then there's like a tiny bubble kind of emerging out of that bubble bigger bubble and within that uh confined space you can experiment but there's still a real on-chain connection between the um, kind of sister or daughter dao and and then the mother dao
0: yeah I love that idea. And in fact, we did entertain that idea with Nansen because we thought, you know, why shouldn't Nansen be like a tokenized entity? And then perhaps the D5 DAO, could own shares of that entity. Um, And so then you have kind of like a venture model for DAO, right? You could just like spin out new sub DAOs or sub tokenized entities. And then the mother DAO, if you want to call it that, um, ends up like having an on-chain connection with those.
1: Wow so beautiful <laughs> i no i'm i'm really fascinated by you know these governance and like finance and blockchain stuff all coming together um, actually i dropped out of a graduate program for technology and politics to do what i'm doing now so it's uh, oh, wow. it's really interesting, interesting. yeah yeah it, it's it, it was a very new program and they, they kind of just invented it but i was like huh. Maybe I can just, just DAO it. <laughs> so, so now I'm, I'm sitting here and just dowing it and, and thanks to you know, Ocean Protocol, we, we have uh, the funding and resources to, to experiment uh, step by step and, and you know uh, see what's the, the the I can't even say what's the right way to do it, but it, at least what's the right way for the stage where we are uh, right now with uh, our community at Ocean Protocol. Um, you know, someday maybe our DAO and your DAO, they could kind of even collaborate and, and uh, you could have... yeah. Um, there's actually a blog post by one of the co-founders of um, F12 or Fantastic 12 DAO. It's called DAO Mesh. A very interesting idea that instead of uh, DAO maximalism and trying to kind of have this the Borg kind of DAO that, that owns everything... You could have many DAOs that just uh, emerge out of you know nothing, ether, and, and then they do stuff and then they die. Some of them live on. And, and I just find that concept much more appealing and uh, decentralized than uh, just trying to replicate a VC firm or a company just on blockchain.
0: Yeah, 100%, I, I love that idea. Nice, I, 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 I,
1: I went into novel mode there, sorry was a novelism (laughs) so so um alex um want to really thank you for giving us your time maybe we could also just briefly mention this uh idea that we've been exploring with uh d5 dao on ocean so yeah I, i kind of think the anchor there is uh ido uh it's kind of now hijacked by initial dex offering but we wanted to call it initial data offering and then The idea there was that instead of um, uh, having like one company that does an ICO or one platform, each dataset or each, let's say, data project, like for example, Ethereum ETL, could be its own nano-tokenized entity. And it's like an autonomous organization, but it's more like an autonomous data asset, ADA. Wow.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's it's a really interesting space to you know conceptualize and experiment. Um, so I think from a public goods perspective, you know it's not trivial how you fund open data sets, for example. So that's like one angle. If you just even if you disregard like the you know the profit uh, aspect, uh, um, there might be people want to pool funds together just to get some open data set put together. And so you could you could use some kind of fundraising mechanism. Um, there but in other case, cases you might also have a for-profit motive where you say hey i really think that the the market will want access to this data and so you might you know fundraise uh to get that data made and then you actually own some of the rights to it and so whenever someone uses that data set um, some of the value flows back to you as a token holder
1: yeah yeah it really warms my heart to hear um you talking about the public's good part, because uh, actually Ocean, um, it, before launching any commercial marketplace, we launched uh, commons. The link is just commons.oceanprotocol.com. And the, the name is short for data commons or AI data commons. And we're also co-founders or like early initiators of uh, an initiative called AI commons. This is a very interesting space and I think it would be very cool to um, have this like marriage between um, using uh, you know the ICO concept, but for public goods, and then having an immediate, um, tangible, even like unchained result of the work. The problem with ICO projects is the only blockchain thing honestly about ICO projects is that they use crypto for fun- funding. They have human mm-hmm. employees in centralized offices using Slack and aws <laughs> and 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 like there, there's just so many uh, levels of separation between the moment uh, that you fund them on chain and then the result that you get out of it it's it's uh, a little bit yes. a little bit nonsense for, for me yeah um so so the idea of having this completely disintermediated uh, approach where you fund a very specific thing and funds are unlocked ideally for milestones of you know creating a certain data set and then listing it uh, the way you wish like i can even now imagine the ux flow so you say like i want to fund this as a public goods or i want to have shares of it and then um and then the data set just out of nowhere, it just comes to exist because uh and, and and you know the the data hunters or data bounty hunters whoever creates the data set could even be a robot it could be an ai it doesn't even need to be human
0: exactly yeah i mean that's a really exciting future you know when you think about it if we can make it happen and it's true that data in a way is a more natural thing to fund because it it can to some extent live on chain not not a hundred percent yeah but more of it can live on chain the access part an ico project
1: yeah the access control part of data can live on chain and that's what uh, o- ocean is about? Sometimes people confuse ocean with like um, Filecoin or things like that, or um, it, or in you know, Augur projects like that. But but Ocean is really only focused on the access control, and we're we're in the next couple of months we're moving in the direction of tokenizing that access token or access to data, and that kind of gave me an idea actually when you talked about and chain link google and what you're doing with nansen what if you guys tokenized um specific um, data pipelines or insights um and then you tokenize access to that and then you could list it on a data marketplace like for example ocean and that could become an oracle on chain link so at least <laughs> do you get the yeah. idea it it, yeah. it involves four four Kind of tech stacks, but it seems to make sense.
0: It, it's an interesting idea. the The tricky thing with tokens is that it goes back to these like irreversible decisions, right? So the the moment that you have a token out there, uh, there is a risk that you know if someone has put money into it or something like that, you you sort of create kind of a debt in a way because there's an expectation that you're going to deliver something back on that. And so that's also maybe a comment on like the whole ICO space uh, at large. But um, but it's definitely an interesting space to, to experiment in. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so, I think something like that um, and other models will eventually work and someone has to do the experimentation. Someone has to do the pioneering, uh, no doubt. And I'm, I, it's very exciting. I have to say um, Ocean Protocol, I, I'm really excited about uh, learning more about that and working with it hands on uh, because I, I really do believe that um, this, is a, this is an unsolved problem at the moment. and if we can more easily, uh, facilitate you know the, the opening of data sets, the publishing of them, and also you know, creating businesses around data sets. That's that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I think Trent or someone had this interesting uh, quote like on blockchain no one knows you're an AI. It's like you know on internet no one knows you're a dog, right?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's true.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. Uh, i I think data as you said is a very natural fit for tokenization it's like on a scale of security tokens to utility tokens data is kind of in between and it just it's more atomized you know it it, even the chance of failure and exit scam and things like that is so low because you could even fund it in tranches you could say if you make this much data available you unlock this much of the tokens and you could use something like aragon court hopefully to uh or do you do if, if you need arbitration for unlocking funds and things like that
0: yeah so and i'm also i want to say like i'm definitely on the side of like i'm a token optimist if i can uh-huh. say that so um a lot there's a lot of pessimism obviously after the whole ico boom and but um but we shouldn't. I think that we need to have more nuance when we talk about tokens. And so, mm-hmm. like, just dismissing the whole idea of like you know having tokens in the first place doesn't make much sense because there's a lot of really really useful things that you can that you can do with um, with tokenization, etc. So I'm definitely like on the optimist side of uh, of tokens. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I sent my last live to uh, uh, CCing token engineering. I, and I think our friends from Token engineering, people like uh, Dr. Zargum, they would be amazing you know, to just involve in this process. Actually Zargum uh, was or is a data scientist himself, that's his background and And now he's like leading this whole Token engineering movement. Ah, uh, oh, cool. Yeah. So, Alex, uh, I think we went over time, but I didn't really uh, feel time flying by. Really enjoyed this conversation and I hope we can uh, you know, have some early results in maybe two months, three months, some prototypes about uh, initial data offerings and things like that so we can share it with the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Nice talking to you.
1: Same here.